All right, hello everyone. Welcome to OT with DA. We just finished uh, chapter 62, took a short little break to reset things here. And uh, now we're ready to go chapter 63, David and Goliath. Um, big shout out to Sam, who is joining me for a second session now. Sam works nine to five, very hard. And so we couldn't pry him away for a weekday. That would be basically impossible for you. But um, I said, would you be willing to do two on a Sunday? He said, yes. And uh, so Sam, super glad that you're here for our second session. Chapter 63, uh, I think I just said chapter 62. Chapter yeah, 63, 63, David and Goliath. Um, hopefully some people can still, oh yeah, we've still got a ton of people signing on live. All right, excellent. Welcome everybody. Um, we are, today's chapter is based on, what is it? First Samuel, the latter half of 16 and all of 17. I love this chapter. I love this story. One of my favorite questions that I like to ask people is I say, oh, somebody says, thanks, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Sam. You're welcome. Um, one of my favorite questions that I like to ask people is if you could go back into like Old Testament times and see any scene, any scene that's described in the Old Testament, you could see it. You could be there present for it. What would it be? And I've asked hundreds of people this over the years, and you get a lot of different answers. A lot of people say creation. A lot of people say the Red Sea. I can tell you're thinking right now about it. You've never asked me that. You've asked me about pizza or pasta a million <laughs> times or sweet or savory. Well, I'm asking you this one right now. One. Any yeah. scene in the Old Testament, you can be present for it. I'm going to say this scene right here, David and Goliath is in the running for my scene. It's top three. My first thought for some reason, maybe it's because Coco's had me read the story so many times recently, is like Noah's Ark must have been <laughs> huge. And just to see the astonishment on the face of the mockers when all those animals just started coming towards the Ark out of their own volition. And that would have been awesome. And then when Elijah called down fire from heaven and all those prophets of Baal would have just been like, oh, oh snap, no. we're on the wrong team. <laughs> we picked the wrong team. Oh. No, this isn't working out like we thought it might. Yeah. For but me, this, this David be... and Goliath, somebody needs to make this into a really good but this movie. This is such a boring fight in a way. This is like a TKO in the first five seconds. It's yeah, like, but, it, but okay, it true. sounds better than it is to watch. That's true. But it, what I love is the lead up. The lead oh, up. The, lead the up anticipation. Comedy. It's hilarious. I think this is a comedy. No, it's though. funny. It's funny. It's, it's absolutely funny. But there's a, a so Anyway, we'll get into it. But this for me is a top three scene. Oh, I just, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Hmm. Come on now. All right. Um, welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Disclosure, you asked me to do this one at eight o'clock. Yeah, that's right. So, so you, I've, I've skimmed this one. So I might Scott be... Webb says, not a TKO, but a KO. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Oh, yeah. Technical knockout. I was thinking it was total knockout. No, technical, it's technical. knockout. You yeah. can tell how many that's, fights I watch. Yeah, that's when the ref steps in. Yeah, a knockout yeah. is, no, no, no. This it's is over. But Sam, this is a story that's very familiar to us. Yeah. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to get into this. Welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Um, yeah, session number two. I'll open, Sam, and then I'll have you have the last word with prayer. Father in heaven, bless us now as we open your word and as we consider a well-known story. Father, this is a story that uh, even most secular people would have heard of David and Goliath. So, Father, as we look at a familiar story, help us perhaps to, to see new things, mm. fresh things, 
and we anticipate your presence with us. Lord, help us to lean in to the fact that the battle belongs to the Lord. Mm. Help us to remember that. And bless us now is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, chapter 63, David and Goliath. Um, Sam, as we often do, if you don't mind, I'll just put you right on the spot and just have you read the first paragraph. It kind of gets us heading in the right mm -hmm. direction. Okay. When King Saul realized that he had been rejected by God, and when he felt the force of the words of denunciation that had been addressed to him by the prophet, he was filled with bitter rebellion and despair. It was not true repentance that had bowed the proud head of the king. Mm. He had no clear perception of the offensive character of his sin, and he did not arouse to the work of reforming his life, but brooded over what he thought was the injustice of God in depriving him of the throne of Israel and in taking the succession away from his posterity. Mm. He was ever occupied in anticipating the ruin that had been brought upon his house. He felt that the valor which he had displayed in encountering his enemy should offset his sin of <laughs> disobedience. Mercy. He did not accept with meekness the chastisement of God, but his haughty spirit became desperate until he was on the verge of losing his reason. His counselors advised him to seek for the service of a skillful musician in the hope that the soothing notes of a sweet instrument might calm his troubled spirit. Hmm. In the providence of God, David, as a skillful performer upon the harp, was brought before the king. His lofty and heaven-inspired strains had the desired effect. The brooding melancholy that had settled like a dark cloud over the mind of Saul was charmed away. Once again, great writing. I mean, I feel like I could talk an hour about this paragraph alone. There's a lot going on here. And so let me just make a few observations, Sam, then if you've gotten anything, yeah. then chime in. So we're right back to, now we're going to have this sort of clash between the brooding, she says, the, the brooding rebellion, bitter rebellion and despair of Saul with the fresh, mm. trusting, boyish David, right? They're going to they're gonna come together and it's not going to be a clash in a combative sense, but now you know, in a literary sense, we're going to, these two are going to be brought into close proximity. And I thought it was such a strange combination to describe Saul as being filled with bitter rebellion and despair, right? Bitter rebellion makes me think revenge, anger, frustration, and despair makes me think hopelessness. And she says he was spending all of his time occupied in anticipating the ruin that would be brought upon his house. Mm. And all he could think about was, oh, you know, now my sons and my son's sons, you know, the taking away of the succession from his posterity. And he's operating under this delusion that his, you know, valor in battle is somehow going to offset mm -hmm. his rebellion and sin. And so now he's on the verge of kind of losing his reason. And then in a grand and unexpected plot twist, somebody, one of his advisors or counselors says, you know what you need? You need a good musician. We, and somebody says, oh, I know a guy. I know a guy. David, the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, he's great. He writes beautiful songs. Let's get him, him in here. And so they sign off on it, and he comes in, and it's just such an unexpected, you know, these two come together in this way. And so David gets to see Saul's forlorn condition, his mm -hmm. despair, his dejection, and he gets to learn some lessons about being the king and it's, it's really brilliant, actually, yeah. and I don't think it's a story you could have easily made up. It wouldn't happen nowadays with 
Apple Music and Spotify. <laughs> Fair like, hey, point. Get get the get the U-boom speaker and put some music. That's on right. Here. So put on the uh, cheer. Before, I nearly said this is before the days of iPods, but who has an iPod anymore? Right. It's just phones. You know, the, the, the days of digital music. So yeah, yeah one of the things it that, is cool that that David ends up there. Yeah, and and in the way he ends up there, so cool. One of the things that I've said over and over again is, and God made this point through Moses and later through Samuel is. You don't want a king. Yes, we do want a king. You don't want a king. Yes, we do. No, you don't. Yes, we do. No, you don't. And getting a king was a one-way valve, right? Like you couldn't get a king and then be like, ah, this isn't working out. We want to go back. Yeah, yeah. You know, that bridge is burned. And now one of the reasons that that was the case is the king would be thinking about his posterity. He would be thinking about his sons. And so that's exactly what she draws out here in the first paragraph. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I can't have the kingship taken away from me. What about my family? What about my lineage? And it just goes to show that monarchy as a system of governance is fundamentally prone to corruption. And a sense of entitlement. Entitlement. That's what comes across through there. I mean, yeah. Mm. The, like, he's behaved like a pork chop. And what is probably, that? Mean? I don't know that term. You don't know that term. <laughs> I never, that's an Australianism. Just, I don't know. It's just, Behave like a pork chop. Yeah. Like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. That's a new one. Hey, look, his, Alex Mahanu joined. Look at that. Oh, Alex and there's our boy. Pork chop. Um, and even he's probably raised his kids that way. But he <laughs> to thinks be like they pork should. Chops. Yeah. Okay. Little pork chop. Okay. Um, but he still thinks that they should somehow have this office. Just well, actually, one of his sons is an absolute boss, Jonathan. I, Yeah, I was just going to say, I haven't been reading up on Saul lately, but he didn't do a lot right, did he? No. Besides, he got almost nothing right. Butt. No, no, he got almost he really nothing right. Except Jonathan. At one point, he, he got Jonathan right, and at one point, there was a roving band of prophets, and he was among them temporarily. He prophesied. Yeah. That's about it. That's yeah. about it. So David's brought in. He starts singing these beautiful songs. Well, I just love it in the second paragraph there. She says that, you know, whenever he wasn't required in the courts, he would be out tending his flocks. And mm -hmm. his simplicity of spirit and demeanor was a, a stark contrast, a sharp contrast to... Oh, there you go. What sputtering you and spattering on the grill like a pork chop. <laughs> lots of noise, lots of heat, but not worth eating. Unclean. Not worth eating. That's, um, a, that's the definition of pork chop. Okay, got Thank it. you for that. Okay, and Jerry says, Jonathan is not a pork chop. I agree, totally. <laughs> agree, totally. Um, so it says there, the next paragraph, uh, th third paragraph, David was growing in favor with God and man. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He now set his heart more fully to do the will of God than ever before. He had new themes, or we might say fresh themes from mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, our last chapter, for thought. And part of what he's seeing here is that he goes into Saul's house and he hates it. Right, in the sense that he's like, man, this is a dark place. Well, where he says the, the end of that second paragraph. Yeah. Uh, or the end of the The young third. shepherd went from the king's house to the fields and yes. hills of his pasture with a sense of relief. Exactly. And gladness. I yeah, mean, he you couldn't think, wait to got, get out of there. If most people think, oh, I got an invite to see the queen or the king, you go to the palace, you see all the fancy stuff, you get right. all the nice food. Right. You, David couldn't wait to get out of there. He's like, get me out of here. This place is dark. It's... There's a lot of despondency here. Stress. There's a lot of distrust. In fact, and what I love is she says toward the end of that third paragraph, she says, but while he was absorbed, absorbed in deep meditation and harassed by thoughts of anxiety, that's David thinking about, mm. well, is this what God has called me to? Yeah, is this yeah, how it yeah. turns out? 
he turned to his heart mm. and called forth strains that elevated his mind to the author of every good. And the dark clouds that seemed to shadow the horizon of the future were dispelled. I love that. Yes. He's like, man, I need to get out. I need to be with my sheep. I need to be in those. And I mentioned this about Moses. You know, when you spend that much time outdoors, I mean, Moses would have known every rocky outpost. He would have known every watering hole, every hot springs. He would have known the migration patterns. I mean, nature is so healing that David's like, get me out of here. Get me back to my sheep. I know just the spot I'm going to take them. It's one of my favorite spots. The wildflowers will be mm. in bloom at this time of the year, and I got to bring my instrument. Mm. I love this. Mm -hmm. It's so pastoral, so wholesome. And so then Ellen White makes the point that we actually had already been making. She says, this was a lot like Moses. Next paragraph, God was teaching David lessons of trust as Moses was trained for his work, so the Lord was fitting the son of Jesse to become the guide of his chosen people. And then she says, and Sam, this was your point in the last chapter, in his watch care for his flocks, he was gaining an appreciation of the care that the great shepherd mm. has for his sheep, of the sheep of his pasture. Mm. One of my favorite things that Ellen White does is she just takes really cool titles and she capitalizes them so you know she's talking about God. Mm. And so she gives God the title here of the capital G, capital S, Great Shepherd. Mm. And uh, this is why Moses was used so powerfully in the work of God and why David was used so powerfully in the work of God, because they had a heart like true leadership, which is servanthood. Servanthood. Protection. Pr protecting those that, you know, sheep are... Patience. Exactly. You're on to it. So David's out there in what she calls the lonely hills and the wild ravines. He's wandering with his flocks, and he knows that, you know, there's these beasts of prey that are lurking. And all he has is his shepherd staff and his sling. And she uses this to start, right, transitioning, getting us ready um, for the, the showdown between David and another predator, mm. uh, but not a bear and not a lion, but mm. a giant from the Philistines. And, and the Philistines have already been a thorn in the flesh for Israel. They're back and forth. Remember, it was the Philistines that captured the Ark of God and killed Hophni and Phinehas. So this is a real give and take. And just to remind us, this is never. This was never a part of God's plan, right? God's plan was that they would go in with faith, that they would go in immediately after Sinai and utterly dispossess and extirpate these people. So the fact that there's a Goliath at all is mm. not plan A, right? It's a great story. It's a wonderful story. But we are so far removed from God's original intent in causing Israel to occupy uh, the land. land. Yeah, it was just, this isn't how it was supposed or to happen. vacated land. Right, exactly. They were supposed to basically be fleeing in fear before the ark. And if they did decide to, decide to sort of double down and not flee, well, then God had this Jericho plan. Yeah, go march around the city. And we'll take it that way. Mm -hmm. That was the plan. Um, so You're Dave, racing towards the fight. Yeah, yeah, I just want to get You're to the fight. You're racing towards the <laughs> okay, fight. Okay, well, slow me down here then. What am I missing? I think we take for granted. Um, at least I do now. I'm... What? Yeah. 10, 12, I don't know, 2004 I was baptized and learned about the love of God. Yeah, so almost 20 years. Way. Almost 20 years. Um, we take for granted the fact that the way Saul was thinking was just so cattywampus. It was just so crossed up. Mm. That the way, the way Ellen White talks about it here, you know, Saul realizes he's done the wrong thing, so it makes him rebellious and cranky. Um, <laughs> How does he, that work? 
he has no clear perception of the offensive character of his sin mm. and it did not arouse to the work of reforming his life, but he brooded over it, thinking that it was an injustice that God had committed to deprive him of the throne of Israel that he was going to pass on to his kids, which he had this sense of entitlement to it. And the way Saul is depicted here in, or relate, related here, the way he's approaching to, to God and to thinking about God, it's that it's like a game. Mm. He's like, oh, coach, I know I dropped the ball. Mm. Sorry I didn't try my best. I broke the rules and I didn't get away with it this time. But, you know, don't put me on the bench. Right. You know, I, I still want to be the star player. I look at all the tries I've scored in the in the past or the touchdowns, touchdowns. for your audience. Yeah. And this merit merit based system of good works, bad works. Yeah, the idea of offset. I think we just have to pause and recognize that most of the religious world yeah. is there. Yeah. Mm different faiths whether it's buddhism or um hinduism islam catholicism which i went through a catholic high school i wouldn't say i was catholic i was a christmas and easter catholic yeah um c and e catholic and but those are the ideas and that's the thinking that you have of god when you come from that or you're raised in that situation where it's well, I pray because it's a good deed to offset my bad deeds. Right. And that's so tragic. Mm. Like that is so tragic that that misses God as a creative creator. Mm. That misses God as a protector. That misses God as someone who sees your full potential, mm. calls you to do something that is great for his kingdom and great for your abundant life. Come on now. And then he fills you with what you need to accomplish that. All of that is missed when you think of God as a scorekeeper. Great point. And when you get benched because <laughs> you're an idiot, right? You're like, you're yeah, come on, look at my look at my record here. Look how many, you know, touchdowns I've got. How many free shots I've got. And put me back on the field. I deserve to be on the field. It's that, a, it's entitlement. It's a stressful way to relate to God. It's not a relationship. Oh, no, it's a true. game. It's a game that Very you're transactional. Or losing. Yeah, a transactional. And I just think it is tragic that the devil has succeeded mm. in framing God that way um, yeah. for so many people. And our job, the job that God calls us to takes a little courage, takes us outside of our comfort zone a lot of times, but it's not that difficult. Mm. He's not calling us to give intricate theological studies mm. he's calling us to say god is a good good father amen god is a is a tender shepherd he's not keeping score and whatever you've done doesn't count so don't worry about it mm. let it go and just rest in god and what god has done for you beautiful saul missed out on so much yeah that's true but but to, to saul's not credit that's the wrong word but in his defense. Yeah, in his defense, Saul was never a part of God's plan. Saul was Israel's plan, right? Like, he didn't want them to have a king. He was sort of caught in the crossfire, hey? He, yeah, and, and God gave them Saul specifically because he looked like a king, he acted like a king, he had, you know, that kingly bearing. And so, in a way, as I've said, you weren't with us, Sam, but, you know, God says, if you want a mm. king, you're going to get it good and hard. 
That's a good comment. What that, is that view doesn't take sin seriously and therefore it undercuts the cross. Yeah. That's true. And Ellen White says that there. He did not sense the offensive character of his sin. Mm. What Paul, what Saul was upset about was the consequences. Correct. He had no, oh man, I have let down my father. I've, I've done mistake. the wrong thing. Yep. I've broken his heart. He's just like, I want to play again. Put me back on the field and I'm cranky because I'm not on the field. Yeah. And that's not repentance. That's manipulation. And mm. a few comments in the beginning when we were reading through picked up this this idea of, uh, I think one, one person said, sin is insanity. Yeah, that's right. This view of God has mental health implications. Yeah, I agree. Like it's agree. not just a theological game that we play with people and a bit of a, a banter. It's you think about God this way and it leads to a destination yeah. that is not whole it's not abundant mm. it's not peaceful well, she literally says joy. the outworking of this way of relating to god and to his own sin is that he's on the verge of losing yeah. his reason yeah and he's obviously so tortured in his soul that he needs this soothing music to assure yeah. him to reassure him yeah yeah i love your point there that it has what well and truly mental health implications our and ty gibson's you know the master of talking about this that that way, the way we think about God works itself out in very profound and sometimes harmful emotional, psychological, relational ways, mm. right? It's not just in isolation. It doesn't mm. affect anything. It affects everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And someone's saying, powerful point about the mental health implications. This is something I actually want to dig into parenting a little bit with you today. They've okay. asked some questions out of okay, here. Okay, sure. The way, the way we talk about God mm. in front of our kids Amen. either sets them up for this view. Yeah. The way we discipline them. Yep. Um, Correct. I, I think you've got a little thing that you say, you know, when your kids do something wrong, you want them to run to you, right? not run from you. Correct. And to parent in a way that they say, I've messed up. The first thing I have to do is tell my mum, my dad, my dad, my dad can get me out of this. Yeah. My dad is just the guy who me out of this. Correct. And, um, that's scary to me. Like Coco's four. We know the first seven years are super crucial. Very much. And so. I'm like, oh man, I'm more than halfway through this. I hope I haven't <laughs> messed it up. You definitely you know. have not messed it up. Your daughters are amazing. And but like it's... myself, you have an amazing wife and mother who's there to more than make up for your yeah, failures. No, all of that is true, but we we have an enemy of souls mm-hmm, who is mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. focused on our kids. And the world around us, you think of it, you know, sports arenas, um, professional settings, yeah. social settings. We do a lot of areas of our life like this. You know, oh, that person said this. They're not getting invited here. You know, that person made me look good in front of the boss. I'm their superior, so I'll promote them, even though that person over there is better at the task that we need done. Mm. But in in so many areas of our life, the, the worldly setting gravitates towards Saul's view of relationship. It's it's positives and negatives. It's rewards and repercussions. It's not relationship. It's very transactional. So it's it's hard to even with a good wife, even with a, a good God that we look to. It's hard not to fall into those gutters mm. and reflect God in the wrong way to your to children, impressionable or seekers, you know, yeah. or fellow church members, people on a board meeting, and you know, it's. 
I, I, what I love about what you're saying here, Sam, is that you're taking very seriously the responsibility and the calling that we have as parents, but also just as Christians, to, to be mindful of how it is that we're painting God mm. with our language, with our attitude, with our actions, with our character. Mm. Are we, you know, one of the things that the Bible says in the Old Testament is that the name of God is blasphemed because of Israel, right? Like, and, mm. and this is actually an interesting point. In the flow of our unpacking of, of the Old Testament and Patriarchs and Prophets, Israel began to relate to the ark like it was an idol. And right, the they just the, the Ark of the Covenant. They just brought it out and said, Oh, this is just what we need. This is the thing that will help us win a decisive victory. Of course, it didn't. Go, go get the genie. That's right. Go get the genie. And then they what do they want? They want a king like the other nations. And so they're losing their peculiar, their distinctiveness, their peculiar nature that God had built into the mm -hmm. system. And when we do that, we actually pervert the way that people see God. The king is supposed to be a window. Okay, now i got ideas flowing here. David is, the reason that David is qualified to be the king is not because he's tall, dark, and handsome, or a great swordsman. It's because he's a man after God's own heart. He's a shepherd that points the way to the great shepherd, the tender shepherd. He's someone to whom we can look and say, God is like that right, in that sort of parental representative capacity, and Saul is not that. I think that's your point. Saul is not that. Um, this is so distracting. I love these guys. No, it's fun. No, they, People they, are having a full conversation here. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. not with us, but with each no, other. No, They're there's a community. Questions oh, it's amazing. And, oh, it's amazing. We're actually going to do a reunion, or a union, I should say, since we haven't been together yet. We're going to, like, get together in some place and talk really? about it. Oh, yeah, totally. It's going to be amazing. Like it. Um... Okay, so where are you at, Sam? Anything more you I'm want to say? To, where are you at? To move this forward into the, the better side of it, uh, this is... What paragraph? I think it's top of 646 in the original. Okay. Oh, no, does, sorry. 645? Middle of 645. How does it begin? Uh, the paragraph begins, as David drew near to the yep. army, he okay. heard... I'm there. This is a difference between Saul and David here. The last sentence of that paragraph, speaking of David, he was fired with zeal to preserve the honor of the living God and the credit of his people. The, the difference with Saul when he's done the wrong thing, he's worried about how it reflects on him. Yes. His, the perception yes. of him and the impact on his family. Correct. What fires David up is to say, we're people that bear the name of God, and this is embarrassing for God. Correct. And I cannot stand for this. I cannot settle for this because... God is better than this, and we're letting God down. New Testament theologian Sigve Tonstad wrote a book that I absolutely love the title of. I love the book as well, but the title is Saving God's Reputation, mm. right? It's, it's Saul, what's Saul worried about? Saul's like, oh, what about my children? What about my legacy? And what about my, you know, I'm losing my place, you know, to use your sports analogy, mm. on the team. I'm not the star anymore. David arrives at the battle lines and when he begins to hear, and I love this. In fact, I just want to read this. I'm still in that same paragraph. Mm. Uh, it says, as David drew near to the army. I'm just going to read this. As David drew near to the army, he heard the sound of commotion, as if an engagement was about to begin. And the army was going to fight and shouting for battle. Israel and the Philistines were drawn up in array, army against army. David ran to the army and came and saluted his brothers. While he was talking to them, Goliath, the champion of the Philistines came forth and with insulting language defied Israel and challenged them to provide a man 
from their ranks who would meet him in single combat. But no man's going to step up. But a boy will. Mm. Bam. He repeated his challenge, and when David saw that all Israel were filled with fear and learned that the Philistines' defiance was hurled at them day after day without arousing a champion to silence the boaster, and I love this line here, his spirit was stirred within him. And then your line, he was fired with zeal to preserve the honor of the living God. That was his first and foremost concern. And then, secondarily, the credit of his people. I, I see this image here. You, you, David's arriving, and you get the picture here of it, there's almost just complete incredulity. Hmm. He's looking around and he's saying, What? What? What's happening? And in, in astonishment, he looks and he's trying to figure out where to put this because this doesn't fit anywhere in David's understanding. Hmm. David doesn't see, well, Yahweh versus Dagon or whatever. He's like, what? We serve the one true God, the living God, the God that made a covenant with our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In no world and in no way should that guy be talking like that about our God and his covenant people. He doesn't have a place to put this, and so his soul is stirred within him. And I just see him in my mind's eye, looking around in complete astonishment. That was, God would be spoken about in this way. The next uh, paragraph here, in shame, partway through, in shame and indignation, David exclaimed, who is this uncircumcised <laughs> Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Yes. Isn't that the coolest word? Yes. Like as believers, I didn't struggle with it in the beginning. Like I dropped foul language pretty quick. Yeah. It has been trying to resurface though sometimes you just so uh, like it's just so much emotion that some of those words just yeah. seem like appropriate and the best way to express it but they're not i i got you i i acknowledge that but here it's like it's almost like uncircumcised is like a curse word he's like mm. is name calling in the most no sharp way it's just like it's epic I love it. I love it. I think it's great. And and one of the Who things... Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't say Philistine, this giant. He didn't reference his physical statue. In right. some ways, he's referencing his spiritual statue. Correct. Saying... Yeah, yeah. I love what you were, what you say there. That's my point. The, the, the reference to uncircumcised is a reference to these people are not God's covenant people. Mm. They are disobedient to the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God yeah. in no world... Should this be tolerated or allowed or sanctioned? And again, David's looking around with utter incredulity, thinking, is nobody? And, and then when David, I assume at some point, he learns, oh, no, this has been happening every day for 40 well, yeah, days. He does. For day 40 days. Day, they hurled at him. Right. But at some point, somebody's going to have to let David know that, and he's going to go, what? And the way the Spirit of Prophecy reads here. Uh, Where are you at? Uh, I don't know. You'll find it. <laughs> okay, start the, reading. The Philistines' defiance was hurled at them day after day, and it wasn't just any defiance right? without arousing a champion to silence the boaster. So it seems like this specific request right. had been hurled at them day after day, and no one was stepping Correct. up. Correct. No, that's exactly right. And, yeah, David's well, not having it. And you look at the, the passage in Scripture, mm. and it sort of sets up that contrast between they're saying how tall he was. And it's, I think, nine foot, nine, nine foot inches. Tall. Yeah, he's very tall. Almost um, ten foot tall. And it's it's talking about him physically in the same way that Samuel talked about the physique of Eliab. 
Um, right. He was tall. And then he was surprised like when skinny David comes in. Scripture talks about the stature of, of uh, Saul and his armor. And then when David speaks up, he just references his spirituality and says, this guy's uncircumcised. Great point. He has no power. You know, you know what he sounds like? He sounds like Joshua and Caleb when they just came out of the land on that sort of reconnaissance mission. Mm-hmm. And they said, this is one of the great lines in the Old Testament, they are bread for us. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, we will devour that. These people cannot stand before us. Sure, they have walled cities. And sure, there, there are these giant caverns that they know intimately because they've occupied this land for generations. And sure, they're tall. The sons of Anak are there. It's a, we can't lose. It's a win-win for us. They are bred for us. I mean, David looks up, he doesn't see a giant. He sees an uncircumcised Philistine that's blaspheming the name of the one true God that he writes all of his songs to. Yes, right? I love this. It's just all sort of, so then, of course, David's brother speaks up, Eliab, and is like, yeah, I know what this is about. He could see that David was stirred up. You know, he's asking questions, and he says, oh, I know that he's actually quite dismissive of his brother. Why did you come down here? With whom have you left the few sheep in the wilderness? I know That's you're so insulting. It's so few insulting. Sheep. Right? You have a few sheep, say. And he says, I um I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battles. You know, you've come down here because you just want to see what all the tourists. what all the big boys are doing. You just came down here, you used it as an excuse. Well, that's not true at all. It was actually Jesse that had requested that he go and check up on his brothers. Mm-hmm. And I love this. But here. David had been directed by an angel. Yeah, no, that's true. But I think it's Jesse that says, hey, bring some cheese and bring some bread to your brothers. And then I love this. David's answer was respectful, but decided. What have I done now? And then I love this. Is there not a cause? Mm. Oh, that's that's the whole thing for me. That's the whole thing for me. Is there not a cause? He just he doesn't get into a personal, you know, brotherly sibling tit for tat. Leaves leaves it with his brother to answer it. Exactly. Is, Open-ended is, question. Is Isn't my there a cause? Indignation unjustified. Correct. Is there not a cause? Hmm. Come on now. Woo! Well, David's, and this is one of the things that I think is so interesting here. David's attitude and David's astonishment, incredulity, would have been so marked, so distinct from everybody else's, that the word gets back to Saul. Mm. I mean, it literally says, the words of David were repeated to the king, Mm. right? Like, hey, there's a guy, you know, somewhere down the line here, Mm. and the word on the street is, he's pretty annoyed with what's going on here. And so David is summoned before Saul. And he's like, oh, I know you. You're the guy that comes to the house and plays that nice music. Hey, hey, thanks for showing up, but this isn't the time for a nice... You're going to get hurt. Yeah, not even that yet. This isn't the time for a nice little tune, but thanks for coming. Hmm. And then he realizes, oh, oh, I guess he hasn't come to play a little song for me. He's asking if he can go out. Hmm. He's ready to go. He wants to respond. He wants to respond. And then at this point, Saul's like, I think that's a bad idea. Hmm. You know, that he tries to talk him out of it. Hmm. Right? She says that. Right? Uh, Let's see. It says here, Saul strove to turn David from his purpose, but the young man was not to be moved. You know, you see those people where they're just like, no, under no circumstances am I not going out there. And Saul's like, he doesn't know what to do with this, right? And I don't think anybody knew what to do with it. And I also like how respectful David is here. Your servant will go and fight, Mm. right? There's no pride. There's no like, David just literally, like, you know how you put on 
you know, glasses like 3D glasses or colorblind glasses or even just reading glasses and you see the world differently. David has on a, an entirely different set of glasses. He sees, as your, to your point, Sam, he doesn't see a giant. He sees somebody that's not in covenant relationship to God. Mm. He doesn't see, he sees Yahweh's name being blasphemed. He puts on his glasses. He is seeing something totally different. It's like night vision goggles. Mm. All, he sees what's actually going on and he's the only one there that sees it. And he's like, no, no, I, I'm going to go out and okay. something has to be done about this. Two things on it. Okay, go. Okay. You are more prone to show your enthusiasm than I am. You just got enthusiastic. That's true. Guilty as charged. Put that into a modern context. Put what into a modern context? Where does David show up in your life or in the church locally, globally, and say... What in the world are you guys doing? Right, I agree. Why, why I, I think are you standing here flat-footed correct. in the face of an uncircumcised Philistine fill-in-the-blank? You should be marching forward. What is that application? I think, I think there are so many applications in local churches where we're paralyzed by the bigness of the task, the secular nature, the loss of young people. We're just like, oh, no, we're cowering before all of these giants. Mm. When God's announcement to us is go forward, go forward. And we sometimes need, like we talked about yesterday's lesson, not the person that looks like they're the guy or the girl to come and solve it all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's going to be the unexpected person that shows up and says, yeah, nah, I'm going to, I'm going in the ring, man. I'm getting mm -hmm. stuck into it. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, I think we... I mean, Arise for me was transformative in that, well, it was foundational and it it really set me up. So many times I've been in church meetings, whether it's a local church or a small group of people that just want to do something for the Lord or at a conference level, we need to come up with some materials. Right. We need to make a program right, for right, this. Right, 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 so right, right. Not really. You just need to get your Bible and go and ask someone if they have any questions about Scripture. There you go. Like, keep it simple. Keep it simple. And the one because the sling and the staff and the stone are simple. And the, the equivalent to that is Saul when he capitulated and said, "Okay, I don't think this is a good idea, but if you can't be talked out of this, I can find someone else to play the harp. You go off. It's going to be messy. <laughs> I'll look away, but at least take my armor." Well said. And Here's a program. Here's something that someone else has put together to make themselves feel comfortable in front of an audience. Right. Not to say that there aren't good materials that sure, sure, sure. are good at communicating, whether it's health or truth or whatever. But in the finish, David walks halfway out and then he comes back and they're like, oh, whoo, whoo, whoa. He's a seen disaster the averted. He's going to be okay. Let's send him home to his dad. <laughs> And he says, yeah, no, no, I'm just here to get rid of all this stuff. I just need I my sleep. I love this application. Can we not just take our Bible Come on, and now. go to someone who has Preach. these broken ideas about God where they're saying, oh, I've done this sin and now I'm doing this to make it up to God. And you just say, that's not how God is. Mm. Let me show you. Correct. Um, let me pray with you. The simpler, let, the let better. Let me serve you. Yes. And, you know, it happened here recently with the floods in our area. They're like natural disaster and humanitarian crisis style and so many people in our church community praise the lord but not just our church community god has moved on the hearts of people that don't even know him to just bring out virtue and serve other people and mm. it's just 
melting division. It's breaking down barriers. It's getting people to, to meet each other. Like we could do with a flood every year right? from a, a church perspective just to push us into the community and do something. Take your mop, take your hose and help someone clean up their house or take your Bible and just talk to someone. It's not, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's not scary, but it's not that hard. Right. But another point that I want to bring out here, what, what David, uh, this is in the words of David were repeated when the, the words of David were repeated to the king who summoned the youth before him. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of it, Saul strove to turn David from his purpose, but the young man was not to be moved. He replied in a simple, unassuming way, relating his experiences mm. while guarding his father's flocks. So how's that conversation go? Saul, I don't just play the harp. I'm a shepherd for my dad. And when I go out, I've had lions, I've had bears, and I've taken care of them. This is not, and I think this is an important thing. This is not presumption. Yes. This is not David who is Correct. getting off this physical couch and saying, oh, I've been playing, I don't know what the League of Legends or whatever right. the computer games are where they shoot people and you know violence in games and saying, oh, I can do that in real life. Mm. This is David who has been physically active. He's encountered situations. He's handled them. And he has confidence from his past experience. And he's prepared for the task. Yeah. And that was what we talked a lot about yes, uh, in our first chapter. Yeah. That he's being prepared. Yeah. And so I think an application for us or a question is, okay, we may not be able to, the, it quotes one of the Psalms here that later it was said about David. He grabbed a lion by the beard yeah. and smote Smote him. it. Um, uh, that I would like to see more so than the Goliath thing. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's more of well, a messy he, fight. He never gets close to the, to Goliath. No. It's just, a, as you said, a KO, but it's over quick. The, i we quote it, you know, we can do all things through God who strengthens me. Yes, we can, but we don't do it off the couch. Come on now. There but has to be a progression. You go did to this, then you did this, then you did this. Do a rise online or ask your pastor to take you along to some Bible studies with him or mm. find someone that who's consistently inviting people to church and say, hey, pray with me. Tell me how you invite how people to How do you do church. that? Alex Mahanu, who's joined our thing, he's one of the people that invites the most people to church out of all the Christians I've ever met. Yeah. I struggle with that. If he invites someone to church, I can give them a Bible study. No worries. But the inviting part, go with someone that's good at that. Learn it, practice the craft, flex your muscles, do a workout so that when Goliath comes along, you say, no, Saul, I know how this looks, but I've done this a couple of times I've, before. I've been, this isn't my I'm first prepared. rodeo. Yeah, I'm prepared. Even though it looks totally unprepared. That's a great point. Because it, it could be, and I think it is, sometimes happens. People read these stories, they get excited, and they miss the fact that there was a lot of preparation here. Yeah, brilliant. Um, even if your preparation is just your time with the Lord in prayer and in Bible study and in OT with DA. I'm giving you heaps of plugs. Arise, I'm OT loving with it. DA. I'm loving it. I want to read here the description um, of Goliath. Uh, this is the chapter, page 790, or paragraph 796. Mm. And it begins, for 40 days, the host of Israel had trembled before the haughty challenge of the Philistine giant. Their hearts failed within them as they looked upon his massive form in height measuring nine and a half feet and a span 
Upon his head was a helmet of brass. He was clothed with a coat of mail that weighed 5,000 shekels. That's like 125 pounds, as I understand it. 58 kilos. Yeah. He had greaves of brass upon his legs. The coat was made of plates of brass that overlaid one another like the scales of a fish, and they were so closely joined that no dart or arrow could possibly penetrate the armor. At his back, the giant bore a huge javelin or lance, also of brass. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. And in the morning and night, he comes out and says, why have, uh, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man. And then a little bit later, give me a man. And again, I wrote in my margin here, how about a boy? Right? And, and here again, to make a point that we've already made, this description is intimidating, and this description is, you know, helpful, but David doesn't see any of it. Hmm. David could care less. He could have been 11 feet tall. At no point does Saul present, uh, excuse me, does Goliath present in any way that causes David to think or say anything other than what he thinks and says. Hmm. Goliath is irrelevant to this equation. Mm. There could have been 10 Goliaths, and David's like, I got this. Mm. He just couldn't conceive of, I mean, we saw in a couple couple chapters ago, Jonathan and his armor bearer felt impressed while while Saul was waiting for the arrival of Samuel, felt impressed to go up and take over a citadel of Mm. uh, the Amalekites. And uh, they had this little fleece before the Lord where they said, well, we're going to show ourselves, and if they say to us, come up here and we'll teach you a thing or two, then we'll know that that's God's will. And those two men routed a large number of men. Gideon mm. with 300 routed tens upon tens of thousands. David knows these stories. He knows the Red Sea story. He knows that God is going to come through. So he's not comparing himself to Goliath. He's comparing Goliath to Yahweh. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. And it's not about Goliath. Mm. It's about God. And the upsetting thing is that all of Israel knew all those stories. But they didn't have the right glasses on. They, they were comparing themselves to in, Goliath and not Goliath to God. In that uh, paragraph you just read there, morning and evening, Goliath had approached the camp of Israel. I don't have the best memory for things. One of the things I do remember from a long time ago was a sermon that Zeke Vasquez preached. Mm, on this. I love Zeke. Yeah. yeah. And his point that he brought out from here is that morning and evening, the way he applied it, is a time that, that we spend with God. You know, morning devotions, evening. Evening these, worship, yep. He he put it forward that these were potentially strategic times, times of prayer, mm. that Goliath was distracting Come on now. the people of Israel. And I've had this before. I mean, if there's an issue in the church or if there's a theological um, difference that someone's putting in front of you, suddenly the Bible can become all about that thing and that thing alone. Yeah. Like every passage speaks to it or... It just dominates your experience. Mm. You imagine trying to do devotions with all of these distractions, Goliath challenging you, whatever that is, whatever way in your life, Mm. when you can't turn that off and just talk to God for a while. The Israelites, who it says became depressed after this just constant barrage of taunting. As you would. David comes from the fields. Mm. He's been seeing God in nature. Great point. He's he hasn't been, had that experience. He's been singing songs. He's been writing songs. And he comes in, to use your word from the last chapter, fresh. Fresh. Connected to God. And he doesn't need to know about 
Saul because uh, about Goliath. Goliath because God is the forefront of his mind, at the forefront of his mind. Yeah, come on now. And he just says, it doesn't matter who that guy is. Number one, I know who God is, and I know who I am who I am in standing with God. In relation to God. And yep. he just says, I'm willing he'll use me. I'll do it for his glory. And that comes up a couple of times here. I'll have to find them. But um, Well, one of the things that I really liked, Sam, going off of what you're saying there, when, um, when he goes out, so he goes out, uh, thus equipped, he starts up, started upon his errand, but before long he began to retrace his steps. And this is where everybody takes the you know breath of relief and says, oh, it's going to be okay, but listen to this. The first thought in the minds of the anxious spectators. Mm. Whoa, I hope you underline that. That's what we don't want to be in our church is anxious spectators. Mm. We want to be in the fight. We want to be in the trenches. We want to be, you know, whether it's mop in hand or Bible in hand or hammer in hand or whatever it is, mm. we want to be in it, you know. And it just struck me that, you know, David walks out, comes back, and they all breathe this sigh of relief. Oh, we don't want to see this kid get slaughtered by this giant. And in fact, all they are is anxious spectators. And I hate to say it, but too often, too many people in our churches are anxious spectators, hmm. waiting for something else to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So can I get to, can we get there now? Can I get to my big point? Yeah, go ahead. Let's, get, mean, to let's get to the fight. We got to get to the bell. It doesn't last Ring very long. Bell. Ding, ding, ding. Well, okay, so he goes out, and he lays aside the armor, and he's got three things, a shepherd's bag, a sling, and a staff. And it occurred to me that when Gideon won that decisive victory over the tens and tens of thousands of Amalekites that had come up against Israel, he had only three very simple things, a pitcher, uh, what, a, a torch, mm. and a trumpet. Mm. God doesn't need complicated, difficult you know, overly thought through. He just needs, like you said, Sam, take your Bible in your hand, mm. get your mop, whatever it might be, and get in there. Mm. Get in the ring. So he's got these, in two times she uses the word stripling, which I really like. Yeah, that's in, not a common word. No, you don't say that word no. very often. No. Stripling. And uh, she uses a lot of synonyms here. Stripling, boy, youth, well-knit form. Yeah, I thought that was great. Mm. In other words, he's a, he's a good-looking guy. He's a fit. He's probably like a little Landon, right? Like he's... That's actually what I thought of, yeah. Yeah, my little son. He's like, he's he's short of stature. But a short period of time in life where you lose your adolescent padding. Right. And you're as fit as you'll ever be without even trying. Right, exactly. Before you start to change. So shape. he's looking good, but he doesn't look like a giant. Mm. I mean, clearly not. He didn't have that kingly bearing that his eldest brother Eliab had. So we don't know how tall he was, but he's not huge. And when he walks out onto the field, I love this. Goliath is filled with amazement and anger. And his answer is, what, what, what am I, a dog? Am, am I a Is a stave a stick? A stick, yeah, just a yeah. stick. He's got this staff. Like you're going to chase a dog with Yeah, stick. am I a dog? Is that is that what's going on here? All of this is inconsequential to David. The words, I mean, they're consequential in the sense that David is about ready to have his way with Goliath, but all of the nasty, mean things that Goliath is mm. saying, his armor, the size of his spear, you know, like a weaver's beam, it's inconsequential because mm. he's not comparing himself or his skills, even though he has given a bear and a lion a good whack, mm. he's comparing it to Yahweh. Mm. That's what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so he begins to curse David by the most terrible curses, by all the gods of his knowledge. And uh, he says, I'm going to chop your head off. And then 
this is great. You know, David goes right to the point and he says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh, God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That word defied or defy or defiance comes up quite a few times in this chapter. This day, the Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Mm. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that Yahweh does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give it. He will give you into my hands. Mm. And and I just want to say here... Our hands. Our hands. Which I think is important. It is important. I just want to say here quickly, Sam, then I want you to chime in here. This was always God's plan. God didn't need generalship. And he didn't, you know, when Israel was at the base of Sinai, they weren't learning warfare. They weren't learning military strategy. They were learning the sanctuary. They were learning how to live like God's covenant people because God's plan was never, ever to deliver by sword and by spear. It wasn't, you know, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of Yahweh, our God. David obviously knew this lesson and we need to know it too, Hmm. right? We don't, there's so much made about being relevant and being innovative and having all these programs. And not that there aren't times and places for these things, but at the end of the day, it's the simplest means that will prevail. Going out with Bible in hand, going out with tenderness and love in your heart, going out in acts of service and just speaking to people, ministering to people, that's the stuff that really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Not the latest and greatest PowerPoint, not the latest and greatest podcast, as good as those might be. Now, nah, man, it's the simple stuff. Mm. The simpler, the better. Yep. What you got? Anything else? The, um, just the theme all the way through here. David's concern is for the name of the Lord. Yes. It's not for his, his own reputation, the glory that he'll receive. Just reading from Scripture there what he says. Um, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Yes. The God of the armies of Israel makes it abundantly clear who he's talking about, who he's there for. Yes. Whom you have defied. Yeah. The insults that David had received were like water off a duck's back. Yeah, he, he what yeah, exactly. stuck in his in his um craw craw was what what's his name? Goliath had said about God. Right. That's what really rubbed him up the wrong way. And um, I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. I will give your carcass to the host of the Philistines this day, the fowls of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all of the earth may know that there is a God yes. in Israel and that this assembly will know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Our hands. This corporate language mm. is something i wish i was i wish it was my my magnetic north yeah to say yes i'm a christian but i'm part of a church and i do things for the living god with my church yeah. for the glory of god mm. and for the glory of the church come on now you know the the promotion or the reputation of the church, the regard of the church. And the equivalent in here is where he says, the God of the armies of Israel. Mm. Um, this corporate language, and we accomplish so much more 
when we're part of a group. Yes. And when we do it, not for our own glory, but the glory of a group. Hallelujah. And I just love it that Daniel was the same. Yeah. Speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, God has told me, you know, um, I prayed, he answered, he made sure that and now he we framed, will tell the interpretation. He framed himself just as the conduit and right. the instrument, not as the hero. Right. And um, I love that. I agree. It's not common. It's not easy, at least for me. Um, but I, I love it here. Like, <laughs> he's a boss. It would be so easy for him to say, I'm just going to kick your butt. Right. And I'm going to do this. And I'm, and, and I, and me. And, and they're going to celebrate me. And my name's going to go on forever. And my posterity will be famous because of this story. And mm. it's just not. It's not where he's at. This is going to make me a legend. This is going to put me on the map. This is going to get me recognized. This is going to get me followers. And I'm going to be an influencer. All of these modern day applications of that. None of that's on David's radar. Correct. He's just like, correct, correct. You're correct. saying things that are wrong about God. You're saying things that are wrong about God's people, and we're just going to set the record straight. And, and just as a case of point, a case in point, there, Sam, to further buttress what you're saying, David would have been equally happy for anybody else in the camp of Israel to say and do the same yeah. thing. That's the point here. David doesn't step up because he's beating others back. No, 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 no. It's got to be me. I have to be first. David only steps into this space because nobody else has. If somebody else would have stepped into that space, David would not have felt saddened or jilted or chagrined. Oh, well, I, I missed my chance. He's not looking for the promotion, as you're mm. saying, of his legacy, his name, you know, his military, you know, combat acumen. Mm. He would have been happy for somebody else to give Goliath a good whacking, mm. right? Which is the test here. Saul, not so much. Go back to uh, 645. Yeah. How does the paragraph begin? Eliab, David's eldest brother, yeah. when he heard these words, this is David saying, who yeah. is this uncircumcised man that defies the armies of the living God? Yeah. Knew well the feelings that were stirring the young man's soul. Even as a shepherd, David had manifest daring courage and strength, but rarely witnessed. Or rarely witnessed. Uh, rarely witnessed. And the mysterious visit of Samuel to their father's house in his silent departure had awakened in the minds of the brothers um, suspicions of the real object of his visit. I actually think the brothers knew how it was going to end. Oh, that's a cool insight. Because unpack that. I think, like it says, when they saw their little brother's hackles come up, they're like, "Oh, okay, he's really cranky." <laughs> we, We've we, seen this before. I'm a little hot tempered, and my older brother was like that. He's like, he knew when I had flipped, when he had flipped the switch and to clear the room. <laughs> and I feel like the older brothers were like, oh, he's going there. We we know what's going to happen here. He's going to do his thing like he's done with the lions, like he's done with the bears. And I think their greatest fear might have been that he shows them up. Their greatest oh. fear was not that he's going to get killed because they didn't really care for him. Mm. The passage says they didn't give him the respect and love due to his integrity and brotherly tenderness. Like he was a good brother. Mm. And they disregarded that. They was just like it's almost like a little Joseph thing going on here. Yeah. He's the younger brother. And I, I'm curious to to find out in heaven one day. Were you guys really scared that David was going to get killed, or were you scared that he was going to show you up? And the passage also says there that interesting. Uh, um, the question which he asked was regarded by Eliab as a censure upon his own cowardice, 
in making no attempt to silence the giant of the Philistines. And we just need to rejoice in other people's successes. Amen, brother. We have Preach. bad days. We're off sometimes. We miss the opportunity. We don't see what others see. When they're winning, we need to get behind them and say, that inspires me. That rebukes me. I need to learn from you in this regard. Praise the Lord. Thanks for doing that. The Amen. brothers here are like, oh, no. We've seen him fly off the handle before with a wild beast, and it, it always goes his way. I, I think they might have known how it was going to finish. They're, they're reading they the situation. they were just like, oh, we're going to look like pansies here. One of, one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite characters in the book of Acts is Barnabas, right? Because Barnabas is almost always depicted as coming underneath people, yeah. helping people, supporting yeah. people. You know, he's the one that the church sent up to Antioch to have a look around. Look at Jonathan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great point. And, and we need to be that way. Mm. We need to be, when others are doing well, when others are succeeding, when others are kicking goals, we need to not say, well, I... You Actually, know. that'll be a fun chapter to go through. Like, I think you'll see that emerge that David appreciates Jonathan's role in his ministry. Mm. That while David's the front person, he's the poster boy, he knows he wouldn't be what he is without the support, the encouragement, the comfort of Jonathan. Jonathan. Times. Yeah, great point. Um, okay, so back, uh, we're, we're right here at the pointy end of the spear, so to speak. Um Top of page 798 of the Types and Symbols, this is the paragraph that begins, there was a ring of fearlessness in his tone, 648 of the original, I think, a look of triumph and rejoicing upon his fair countenance. This speech, given in a clear musical voice, rang out on the air and was distinctly heard by the listening thousands marshaled for war. The, um, the anger of Goliath was roused to the very highest heat. He just feels insulted, right, by this boy. You're sending out a boy with a stick. In his rage, he pushed up the helmet that protected his forehead and rushed forward to wreak havoc upon his opponent. The son of Jesse was preparing for his foe. I mean, I think I think I can safely say at no point is David afraid. Like literally at no point does he even doubt that God is going to handle this and handle it soundly. Because you think about the amount of skill involved here, Sam. So Goliath runs toward mm. him. He runs toward Goliath. Moving target. He's a moving target. You're moving, and you're swinging a thing. That's I mean, this is this is a one in a billion shot. But I think right? it's providence too. Where's he hitting? Yeah, right, right where he pushed right up the where helmet. He uncovered. Yeah, he does. Goliath lift his helmet for anyone that was bigger. Oh, good point. Maybe not. I mean, was the other oh, person going to use your sling? Probably you're not. You're bringing your but A game. I love it. He's described as this impenetrable wall of armor, like fish scales of bronze armor that overlay right. each other. It's like, where do you hit this guy with a sword? Where do you throw a spear at him? What what do you do? David comes out and so And David's like, not thought this through. He, he's, he doesn't have a plan. He has a God. I guess his eyes had to be open right. all the time. Maybe he's going to hit him in the eye. He just, at every but, step of the way, he just thought, well, God's going to work this out because yeah. I'm not here on my own yeah. behalf. I'm here on God's behalf. So when he pushes up the helmet, you know, just... As you say, providentially, he probably doesn't do that. If it's a mm. comparable, formidable figure, mm. he pushes up the helmet. David's got no plan other than God's going to deliver this guy into my hands. Mm. He's running at David. David's running at him. He's flinging the sling, flicks it up, hits him square in the forehead. And I love the way she says this. The giant reeled and staggered like a struck oak and fell to the ground. Just before that, she says, uh, actually, that's really good, too. They had been confident that David would be slain, but when the stone went whizzing through the air straight to the mark, 
they saw the mighty warrior tremble and reaching forth his hands as if he were struck with sudden blindness. The giant reeled and staggered like a struck oak, fell to the ground. David did not wait an instant. And I remember years ago, I heard Jeffrey Rosario preach a great sermon on this. And he basically says that when the symbolism here is that when David takes out his own sword and cuts his head off, he used this as an analog for Jesus slew Satan, defeated Satan, overcame Satan with his own sword, death itself. Mm. He used death to defeat him who was the author of death. Mm. And he said, just like Goliath getting his head cut off with his own sword, mm. Jesus used death mm. to defeat the author of death. Mm. Woo! That's it. That's the story. And then one of my favorite things is he, he, takes, the, uh, he takes the head and he just, he won't let it go. I mean, listen to what the Bible says here. Um, this is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 57. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. He's not letting that thing go, right? He is, he's like, he's, he's, it what actually I think says. What is cute is the only thing David does for himself is. Keeps the armor. Keeps the armor. Yeah, that's right. It's like. That is a cool little souvenir. That's great. I mean, you would have had to get someone else to carry it. Of course. I mean, it's, it this, probably weighed as much as he did. And it would have filled his tent, but he keeps the head to send a message to, to, to Israel and to encourage them, I guess. And he keeps the armor as all souvenir. Many times it's in the... A little something. A little something, something. Remember the trip. <laughs> a souvenir, of a magnet for the refrigerator. And he wrote some songs. Did he write a song about Probably. I mean, he, did, he wrote many songs about the enemies of the Lord being... I wonder if there's a Goliath where he, psalm. he finished this, he went back to the sheep. Wrote a little song. And he just wrote a little ditty about... Probably had a cheese sandwich because he brought a bunch of cheese and bread to his brothers. Had a little cheese sandwich. Well, here, here's a, 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 in my opinion, a, a really... Well, we, I, we probably should get to the rubric. Are you yeah. ready for that? You got anything more? I'll give you the last uh, word here. And then we'll do the rubric. I did. What was it? Um... <laughs> It'll probably come to you in the rubric. Um, yeah, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll put so, it in the rubric. So, It'll give me something to put in there because it's empty right now because you gave me short notice. Oh, I'll give you short notice. Okay, so this is the point, the person, the prayer, the practice, and the promise. Um, yeah, well, and we didn't mention that, you know, when the Philistines saw this happen, they went fleeing, Israel pursued them. and All they, of a sudden, Israel got brave. <laughs> that's exactly right. I wonder right. what Eliab was doing. Yeah, exactly. Was he going over to congratulate his brother and apologize for discouraging him, or was he chasing after them like a hero? And who knows? But this is and Saul. Kind of... Saul was there too. Well, Saul has already done this when Jonathan, as I mentioned earlier, he was the leader. When Jonathan and his armor bearer won that decisive sort of routing of a of a local citadel there of the Philistines, they put them all to flight because this trembling came into the camp. This this the earth trembled, and then they went fleeing, and then all of Israel pursued. So same thing here. Mm. Right where earlier it was Jonathan, here it's David. You think they learned this lesson? They haven't mm -hmm. learned it yet. So, what was the point of this chapter? I'll lead Sam, and then you can play yeah. off of anything. I put here to tell, to tell one of the very best, very coolest stories in all the Old Testament, and to remind us that the battle belongs to the Lord. Whether it's with Gideon, whether it's with the drowning of uh, uh, the armies of Egypt in the Red Sea, whatever. You know, whether it's with Og of Bashan, I mean, whether it's with Jericho, the battle belongs to the Lord, and all he needs is simple means and a willing heart 
and the unexpected hero to show up and just believe that God will do great things. Mm. That's my point. Um, remember where your power comes from. Oh, excellent. And yep. Yeah, excellent. When, when she says, they saw the rock whizzing through the air, I think of the name of Jesus. Mm. In the book Evangelism, I think it is, and it's in a few of the books about outreach and whatnot that Elamite has. She often says there's just this power in the name of Jesus and to share the name of Jesus, yes. to use the name of Jesus, yes. to put it yes. into the air. Get it out there. Jesus, because Jesus, it's Jesus. powerful. And I've always struggled with that. Mm. My my older brother, who's a skier filmmaker, he went to Kashmir to make a, a ski film about... Um, His brother's an award-winning filmmaker. So... Um, when he came back from there, we were talking and he said, you know, it was really interesting being around the Muslims there. They just talk about God so naturally. It just rolls off their tongue. And he said, it never made me clammy. It never made me feel uncomfortable. They weren't preaching to me or witnessing to me directly necessarily. He said, it just, God was part of their life and they talked about it. Right. And that, and he contrasted that to when he was around me. And when I talked about religious things, like you're sort of, tension come was coming into the room mm. and i'm trying to do it with my kids to use the name of jesus a lot yeah just so it rolls off their tongue so they're comfortable to say the name of jesus and not feel like oh this is a little awkward now yeah um beautiful it's a powerful name and we just use it you know when you when someone says what are you doing this weekend you know i'm, I'm going to spend sabbath with jesus come like, on now it's kind of awkward it's it's quite pointed but Get it's it out a name there. that just put it into the air and let it do its work. I know that sounds like magic, but no. that's the way it's talked about. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's get that get the name of Jesus whizzing is, through the air. Yeah, just let it out there. Let God do with that stone whatever He wants. Yeah, it'll miss if it's not the right time, or it'll connect. Um, do you Correct. know the word poleaxed? I, I I hear it sometimes, but I don't know it. My dad uses that word. Growing up in an agricultural setting and dad being Maltese, we killed a lot of the things that we ate and we ate a lot of the things that we killed. And th this, in slaughtering an animal, they'll, you know it. If you hit the mark, there's a very visible physical set of reactions. That's what she's describing. It was lights out from an, in, like, the moment it connected, it was lights out. It was like, and that's what the word polax means. Yeah, that's what I, that's what comes to mind when my dad uses that word polax because if if you hit something in the right spot, it just everything stiffens, and it just and goes, just, and you're alive one second happened. and you're dead the next. Jesus can do that to someone. Amen, brother. I mean, Jesus did that to Saul on the on the road to Damascus. That's right. It's just he spoke. What is your name? Changed. Who are you, Lord? Yeah. I am Jesus. Yeah. So you know, he's just I think like, that's the point what? for me is where does your power come from? It comes from the name of Jesus. Just let it rip. Get it out there. Beautiful. The person I wrote here, God is not relying upon sword, spears, and spears and iron for victory. God transcends worldly means of victory and success. Mm. The battle belongs to the Lord. Some trust in horses and some in chariots. We will remember the name of Jesus. Mm. I think... I like the fact that David's zeal is celebrated here. The Lord wants people that are alive. Yeah, come on now. Passionate. Like what we see in David here 
in his defense of the name of God, mm. I think is what God wants to see in us, like he did with William Wilberforce. Yeah. Like he did with, you know, abolitionists, with Gandhis, people that were just so incensed by injustice that they were moved to action. Correct. Because when God sees us suffering, when God sees us depressed, despondent, struggling, he's moved to action. Beautiful. In the cross. He Beautiful. does something. Beautiful. Um, and I think that's that's the God that we serve and that's a God worth serving. And that's a God that that's you can be person. zealous for. Yeah. Okay, prayer. Father, help me, like David did, to see situations through the lens or the glasses of your power and character and to take my cues from you, not to compare the situation and the circumstance to me, my abilities, my efforts, but just to say, well, I serve an infinite God. I serve a God who transcends the local situation and the immediate visible scenario. God's got this. And, and we need to remember that, again, we have to trust the circumstances but we have to compare the circumstances not to ourselves, but to, to God who transcends all human circumstances. So, yeah, I want to be able to see through whatever those glasses are that David had on. I want, I want a pair of those glasses. The circumcision glasses. I don't think I can really right. <laughs> improve on the prayer that you right. said. It's this just, uncircumcised Philistine. Yeah. Help us to see things through a spiritual lens. And in doing that, in having these victories for God, help us to be humble. Yes. Help us to do it for his glory. Yes. And not to say, Amen, I'm an outstanding Correct. evangelist. Look what I pulled off. Look what I've done or how look many who I baptized. I've... Yeah. Yeah. The give us the humility, I think, is a prayer that we need to pray if we're going to have victories like David. Amen. Because they're dizzying heights. And and you get the sense that David was no more elated at the slaying of Goliath than he was when Samuel poured the oil upon him. Yeah. Right when Samuel gives him the oil, he's like, "Okay, well then this is what it is." This is what he saying. slays Goliath, and he's like, "Of course." I love the word Elamite uses. Which one? His head rolled from his trunk. Yeah, it's like, like it's just like a yeah. It's just a matter of fact. It was just it, it was great. always going to happen. Correct. Just and, and I actually kind of like liked, this intense battle. To his head just kind of rolled. It, I, I like the fact that the story oh. ends so abruptly. That the battle is so in like this. The battle is so easy. It's supposed to, if if it was a, and they wrestled for hours into yeah. the night and David finally, well, that's not the thing. Mm. No, the thing is, it just, ha it's over the, as soon as it starts, it's over. Mm. Goliath literally never knew what hit him. This might push us over and go long, but I'd go. How do you deal, how do you raise your kids through the violence in scripture? Because, oh, I'm actually, day, I'll, I'll speak to that when I get to my word. It might be coming off as really out of place and unhealthy because I've got girls. <laughs> but man, Coco just talks about killing things and death <laughs> and it just rolls off her tongue. And my mum, who is on a journey, she's just like, you guys are reading too many Bible stories to me. <laughs> and it's true. That's where it comes from. Ah, I love it's like it. God drowns them all. David cuts <laughs> off his head. You know, he kills him with a rock. Like oh. there are so, I mean, even the cross, Coco just, when we read the, the Isaac story the first time, she refers to it as the barbecue story, the boy <laughs> on the barbecue. 
and it's like it's you are killing me. These are all the script. These are Dude, these are the scripture stories that make it into um, you know, Sabbath schools and yeah. whatnot. And but they leave off the most offensive parts. Let's be honest. Oh, uh, like Arthur's bedtime story does not have the decapitation. Well, we must have the wrong books. We got some books. You I got the decapitation stories together so that they wouldn't find them. Like, <laughs> but. Um, well, let me just say this. How did I, you do it? Well, I am. Is there I, a wrong time to no, just be reading scripture no and not way. leaving out to, details? It used to drive my wife crazy because like when we would do the David, because we would do the song. One of the songs that we would do is only a boy named David, yeah, yeah, yeah. only, a, you know, you know the song. Yeah. Only a rippling. And, it, and he would pray and sing. And then, and the giant went tumbling down. And then I would always say, and David took out his sword and chopped off his head and paraded <laughs> okay. it around Israel as a trophy to the Most High God. And Violet would say, don't say that part. Yeah, yeah. I said, what? I want them to know the text of Scripture. Like, we are insulated. Yeah. No way. I think, I mean, listen, violence is not, it's not a wonderful, glorious thing. Certainly not. But the Bible tells the stories that it tells yeah. as deliverances from oppression. Yeah, I Right? Get as that. deliverances from injustice. As people that have so aligned themselves with evil, with sin, with injustice, with cruelty, they forfeit the right. I mean, just you missed this, Sam, but our last chapter was where Saul has preserved Agag. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, look what I brought here. And, and he literally, Samuel says, bring Agag. And he brings him in front of him. And it just says that Samuel just chopped him into bits. There's like, another story. Exactly. <laughs> my, my point is, is that when people forfeit the right yeah. to life, there is a sort of cause-effect relationship between their taking of others' lives and the loss of their own life. Mm. And the, it's just, it's just this, this. My justification for it, or my my the thing that I'm getting comfort and saying, no, I'm not doing the right thing is I think there's an imbalance between, and I shared this with someone just yesterday. If you've got a pyramid of things that we know about God, at the top, the cap, the capstone is God is love. Correct. I think the two that sit underneath that in that pyramid is God is just, just and God is merciful. merciful. I knew you were going to say that. We get merciful and we like merciful. We right. want mercy. Correct. I don't think we're comfortable with justice because we deserve some justice too. Mm. And we're maybe not relaxing into the fact that Jesus took the justice for us at Calvary. Come on now. But I think having those stories in scripture and not hiding them from kids is they learn that sin has consequences, that it is offensive and Agreed. that it needs to be dealt with. I agree. But you know where I live. I, I mean, live in Byron Bay. Right. That people there are not hip on scripture. They're hip on everything else. And <laughs> everything so when Coco's scripture. in public and she's talking about killing things and <laughs> well, death. Maybe and... you're overdoing it. No. It... I mean, I can't speak to that situation. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not singing the rest of that song the way you are. <laughs> like I just say the stone went zing and then they went ping and then the giant fell over i don't do this cut off his head carried it around i think you overdid it maybe i agree with violetta but coco <laughs> is just processing I'm dying. and then we listen to the desmond doss story oh yeah, yeah. and that really got her into the whole and well, now that's ukraine great, that's going on and she's talking about ukraine and people getting killed and it's like i just get nervous when people overhear our conversation i think oh, this like, might be a bad witness <laughs> anyway you can teach me more about um, it later, okay I've been on that note that. my point of practice is uh and it's very practical actually to fight in my own armor yeah that's my practical point i mean throughout the years you know not that i've gotten everything exactly right but i have been coached and 
advised and counseled by people about certain sort of idiosyncratic things that I say and do. And people are like, no, nah, you need to do it more like this. And by the way, I'm not saying that I'm close to receiving mm. input from others. I mean, you've given me some great input over, over the decades that we've known one another. But at the end of the day, Sam, you got to be Sam. Mm. And I've got to be me. And you have to be you. You have to be who you are. You can't be who you aren't mm. for Jesus. And so figure out what your armor is. And when others try to put their armor on you, it, it might not work. It might not fit. Now, again, to, to balance that, it's, you know, you do need to be willing to receive input and advice from others. But at the end of the day, God made you, you, and you've got to do you to the glory of God. And so I want to... Pour the people that are like you. Amen. And if you don't, they miss out. Correct. Yeah, that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, isn't it, right? To the Jew is a Jew, to those who's mm. under the law is under the law, to those who's without the law is without the law. Mm. He says that I might by all means save some. Mm. So I've got to be who God has called me to be. And not everybody's going to resonate with David Ashwick. There's some people that think I talk too fast or I, they, I do things that they don't like. Well, that's okay. Fortunately, happily, I'm not the only preacher in the world. God can raise up people to reach mm. a diverse group of people in their own way but I'm, I'm going to be what God has called me to be, right? It's like there's this great story about Dwight Moody who went to England, and Dwight Moody was an American evangelist, a Chicago shoe salesman that was big and kind of a Santa Claus-like figure, rough around the edges if you kind of read between the lines. I've read a couple of his biographies. And um, he went to England, and he was, you know, they're very proper and very prim, and he was quite uncouth and big and loud and, and boisterous. And at one one of his speaking appointments in England, there's this story that was told where a, a young Englishman came up to, to Moody after a particular sermon that he was really energized and energetic. And, and the, the young man said to him, uh, he was you know, from one of the preparatory schools, he said, you know, you know Mr. Moody, you, you have completely slaughtered the Queen's English here in this presentation and kind of chastising him for his coarse manner. And then Moody uh, reportedly responded and said, young man, I'm using all of the English I know to save souls for Jesus. What are you doing with mm. the English you know? Good. And so at the end of the day, mm. Dwight Moody's got to be Dwight Moody. Sam's got to be Sam. David's got to be David. Doesn't mean we can't take counsel or learn from others, mm. but we've got to fight in our own armor. You. Mm -hmm. Okay, you got anything for practical, Sam? Yeah, listen to music. Okay. The, from the first bit where he, you know David comes in and soothes Saul and the influence of that, the effect of that. Yeah. Man, music is, it doesn't work for everyone the same way, but you, know, you get a good lyrical person, they can fit 10 sermons into one song and you'll hear the sermon yeah. that you need on the day when you listen to it Beautiful. that you might have never heard before. Great. Just one lyric, one line. The other one is, man, free ourselves from busyness and distraction you know back to that point that zeke brought out in his sermon the morning and the evening make time to observe creation to yeah. spend time in scripture yeah. with god yeah. to be around godly people to listen to to spiritual music and i mean you compare david's life with the sheep and the the things he could have thought about and the the attention that he could have had on a, a topic of God or a perplexity about God mm. for hours on end, no distraction. Amazing. It's so difficult to create a 
period of time, let alone a large period of time where we can just in the modern world, like detox of all the things that occupy our mind and cause us anxiety and stress and distraction. Yeah. And just get into a rhythm of meditating, no, you're right. reflecting, focusing. It is hard. But we should try. You 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 have to make an effort to do it because in the world. you don't get David on the battlefield without David in correct amongst the flock. Great point. You know, or writing his songs. It the grounding that he has, the confidence that he has, the self assurance. It, it doesn't come from beating lions solely. It yeah. comes from knowing that God is good. And seeing the way God provides, the way God protects, and just, yeah, I, I can't, self, self-assuredness, self-awareness, groundedness are some of the things I want to say about, like, David was, he just knew who he was and he was comfortable. In his own skin. Yep. And. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, one way to say that is you don't get chapter 63 without chapter 62. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You don't get this incredible victory without those, you know, years in the field, observing, looking, praising, singing, composing. Yeah. And it's, you know, Jesus in the workshop, you know, Jesus does what he does in his ministry because of his time in the workshop, you know, the chosen where it like, it builds up the, the video series, movie series, the chosen, it builds up so much to the sermon on the Mount. Right. And you do a great sermon on that. It's like, He had been thinking, how am I gonna how am I gonna speak to this audience about these things and what's what's my first a lot of preparation? That where's your workshop? What what are you doing in your workshop to to make you who God or to grow into who God needs you to be to reach the people that, that only you can reach? Sam, my promise is the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's mm. God's promise to me, it's God's promise to the church. It's God's I think that's God's promise. Mm. You got anything? Yeah, along those lines. I think when we do things like paying tithe, test me and not like test me in this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you walk out onto a battlefield and you say, Lord, I'm going to do this to defend your name. And um, I think we we do it for God's glory, not not for ours. Um, and when we do that, there's um, there's victories there for us. Okay, everybody, let's get your word here. Uh, you've been with us now for two full sessions. Thank you, Sam, for coming. Thanks for It's been me. awesome. It's been so good. Absolutely. And uh, I'm reminded as I was... Are there, are, there, are there that many people hitting that love heart all at once? Or does it yeah, do yeah, it like yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. one person hit it and it like have, goes up in no a visual idea. effect? But you can just tell that when... No, that's a bunch of people. Really? Yeah, that's a bunch of people. They're all liking things. Okay, here we go. I missed a couple there. Armor, armor. United, courageous, valor, indignant, ooh, indignant, mm. fearlessness. Very good word. Guide. Guide. Preparing, deliver. Stacy says, thank you. Solo Scripture brave, says, thank you, brave. Sam. You're welcome. Brave. Simple. Mm. Oh, simple's good. Mm. Simple's good. Giant, says Marco. Karen says, challenge. Outlier. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Armor, providence, preparation, cause. Yeah, cause was with me. I like that word too. Is there not a cause? Mm. Victory, courage, contrast, zeal, 
giant lifted confident stone stone yeah that's good they thank you for your deep dive close. sam they get in close to Allison. my wood with stone zeal lion this was a blessing says nancy amen i agree i was deeply blessed battle great study says peggy faith brave okay sam what was your word whizzing <laughs> whizzing whizzing i need to whiz more Sam's word send, was whizzing. I need to send the name of Jesus whizzing more often. I had glorify because everything David did was for the glory of God or the glory of Israel. But then I had grounded because I just wanted to describe who David is like that. Yeah, whizzing. But whizzing takes takes it at the Sam. At look the at this one here for me. Look at what Deb says here. Where did I lose it? Sam is a dude. Dude, I'll take that. Yeah, he is a dude. Um, Megan's laughing. Okay, whizzing. That's funny. My Stone word. doctor. Phew. That's two, but we'll take it. Stone doctor. Um, so Surgeon. My word was, uh, let's see, trust. Yeah, look at what Megan says. I need to whiz more, said not many. Yeah. <laughs> Agree. Um, the reason that and somebody's asking about whizzing, it's because she says that the stone went whizzing through the air. And you mentioned about how, you know, we need to put the name of Jesus out there. Get yeah. it out. If that's our stone, we need um, to let it fly. My word was decapitation. <laughs> Truly. You did overdo no. it. Violetta was right. You my word was it. decapitation. You're violent. I thought there were a lot of great words here. I thought all these words would have worked. Contrast. Did she use the word decapitation? No, but but here's a few things. Number oh, one. I thought it was supposed to be a word out of here. No, well, it could be. Okay. But it doesn't have to be. Decapitation because... because First of all, for the obvious reason, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, David, I mean, the, the emphasis on head. He walks around with his head. And then also when they lost their champion, right, they were effectively decapitated and they went fleeing. And I just love the idea that, that God is in the business of, of removing heads and heads of state so that we can have the one true head, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. My word was, that I was not... That one needs a little explaining. No, I wasn't going to miss an opportunity to have as my word decapitation. Mm. So God bless you all. We hope you, yeah, he decapitated the enemy. That's exactly right, Liz. Mm. Exactly. People are laughing at me. I don't mind. There were a lot of words that would have worked really great, but um, we hope you all enjoyed this. It was a long back-to-back uh, -back session. I feel totally energized. I'm fine. <laughs> Somebody says, we've got to go to sleep, sleep now. Yeah. Um, Listen, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow morning. David decapitated Saul's reign. Oh, no, that's true. That's, that's true. Um, tomorrow is chapter 64. It'll be in the morning. For, I guess it's sort of normally um, 2.30 mountain time because um, I've got to teach tomorrow to rise, so we'll be back on sort of the normal schedule. Sam, I'll give you the final word in prayer. If you don't mind closing mm. for us, that'd be great. All right. Father in heaven, we thank you that you call us to do something great, um, not on our own, but as a community. Amen. We thank you that you call us and you equip us and you give us the powerful name of Jesus. Yes. Um, Lord, help us to see the enemy as defeated. Um, help us to see our help as, um, Lord, the God of heaven and earth, the God mm. of creation mm. that pays attention to detail, that makes amazing things come out of nothing. And, Lord, we just pray that as we look back on the stories of the greats, like Moses, like David, mm. um, 
you would help us to identify with clarity what our enemy is, what yeah. our distractions are, what our armor is and what it is not, and to move forward um, grounded um, in faith, in who you are, knowing that you will give us the victories and that you are coming soon mm. and you want us Hallelujah. to be a part of the process of making others ready for your soon coming. And um, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the book, mm. Patriarchs and Prophets, Amen. the ministry of Ellen White Amen. and the preservation of Scripture throughout the ages and the life-changing power that it has. May we experience that in our week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.